for your awards consideration, presenting the HBO original Succession. In this series, a power struggle ensues as the family weighs up a future where their cultural and political weight is severely curtailed. IndieWire called the series the end-all, be-all of TV, Emmy-eligible for outstanding drama series and all other categories. Welcome to the Ankler Podcast. This is Sean McNulty from the Wake Up Newsletter, recording here on uh, Thursday, August 24th. I'm from the Jersey Shore. We're all keep the fist pumping to a minimum. Uh, joined today by, of course, Elaine Lowe and Richard Rushfield in Los Angeles and uh, Peter Kiefer joining us well today. Uh, Elaine, Richard and I have been in breathlessly awaiting your reaction to the end, just like that finale. Have you watched it yet or uh, what? where's the status on this? No spoilers. It's only been out for like 12 hours. Uh, <laughs> I am really looking forward to it, though. <laughs> Are you? It got renewed for season three. You have more to watch uh, in a year and a half or something. Yeah. 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 Whenever the strike's over and they manage to get back into production. In the writer's room. Yeah. But this is the big uh, Kim. You're excited for Kim Cattrall cameo. The 87 pieces in the trades that have been hyping this for uh, <laughs> five months now. Are you ready for your one line of dialogue or whatever this is going to be? I am very curious about how they're going to handle it. So you joke, Sean, but I'm invested. They they got you hooked. (laughs) Right after this podcast, you are going to stream and just like that. So you can uh, follow in on Twitter and get her hot takes on that one. Uh, Richard, did you, did you finish reading the big uh, Zaz profile in the New Yorker this week? I'm, Uh, I'm, I'm I'm savoring it a sentence at a time. It's uh, (laughs) with the, uh, we, we can't know too much about David Zaslov and his uh, fascinating life. So. Lot to cover there. So it's a, it's a stroll, you know, for Richard, for you, maybe you and I, down memory lane of the media world of the, of the 90s and early 2000s, a little bit. Some names in there I hadn't heard in a long time. So it was actually pretty interesting. I'm I'm looking forward to it. And it was, my whole family is going to gather around uh, the fireplace this weekend. And <laughs> Get the kids. I'll read it to them and uh, we'll, all, we'll all talk about our favorite parts and uh, and write letters to Uncle Uncle Zaslov and uh, tell, him, tell him how we're rooting for him. Papa Rushfield story hour. Here we go. Um, so, uh, Peter, you and Elaine have a piece uh, fr- hot off the presses uh, here at the Ankler. Um, you know, outside of the usual neuroses, uh, how's the mental health going in, in Hollywood these days? Yeah, we, uh, Elaine and I, over the past, I don't know, three three weeks, we've been interviewing just about everyone we can. Uh, we, we we set out to try and use the sort of the impending end of summer and the arrival of fall as sort of our, our, our news hook in this whole thing and to sort of look back at this summer and try and get a sense of where people are thinking and feeling about this this strike. Um, and we tried to tackle everyone below the line, vendors, uh, lawyers, publicists, uh, agents. Elaine's been out, as we all know, on the picket lines talking to all sorts of creatives and in some, uh, people aren't feeling very good right now, especially this week, I'd say. I think, um, as we say in the story, uh, it felt like at the end of last week and at the top of this week, things were were looking like trending in the right direction. Um, and then, obviously, the events of Tuesday night uh, occurred. And it feels like, as Elaine wrote yesterday in Strikegeist, um, that this that set things back dramatically. That, of course, being the AMPTP and WGA kind of... Uh, exactly, yeah, right, of course. <laughs> yeah. the um, Talks falling apart, I guess we'll call it that way. Right, yeah. right, the, the, the counterproposal and then the release of the details on Tuesday night by the AMPTP, which many felt was an effort to try and embarrass the writers, or at least that was received by the Writers Guild. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that the, the general feeling now is that everyone is 
extremely upset and depressed uh, that we this thing is still happening and we're we're moving out of the summer and it feels like summer is often this period when you can sort of like get through things but we're moving into fall and fall is a crucial uh, period for the industry and i think that that has a lot of people uh, very very nervous about what their prospects are over the next weeks and several months yeah Elena, was there a sense of not the the rug being pulled out or the Charlie Brown the football this week with the you know but I think that you know it's a very unique and very uh, you know apropos three week period to actually be gauging the temperature. Did you see kind of a a shift over that even in that time period uh, as you guys put the piece together? It's been a weird time, right? Because I think <laughs> a little bit, a, yeah. Literally, what a week ago we were saying, "Hey, could this thing be done by Labor Day?" They, they, right, uh, right. But that was yeah, last literally. words. Yeah. And now, as of Tuesday, because listen, the AMPTP and the WGA had met four or five times over the last week and a half after over a hundred days of the writer's strike, and so people felt that there was progress, things were moving along. Um, but supposedly, the two sides are also supposed to be on a media blackout. Uh, And so the writers took offense to uh, the studios releasing their proposals to the press Tuesday night. Uh, But according to them, but 20 minutes after Disney's Bob Iger and David Zaslav and, and, you know, Ted Sarandos over at Netflix had all met with the Writers Guild Negotiating Committee. And so uh, during this period of media blackout, it was seen as a tactic to try and, and work around and try and divide the writers. And instead, what it did was create this torrent of this firestorm basically among the writers of well this is this is a crummy tactic and you're trying to divide us and it's not going to work and so they've really dug their heels in and if if the attempt according to a studio source that i spoke to the attempt was to try and show everyone that they had been trying to make progress that they had been trying to come and meet more in the middle to what the writers had been asking for but if that was the intent intent it sure as hell backfired yeah, um, yeah. And so, you know, when I've been out on the lines, uh, talking to writers, talking to actors, um, you know, I, I I don't think the sentiment has actually changed all that much because huh. with the writers in particular, it's been drilled into them that, you know, wait for word from leadership and we will tell you what is happening. Just sort of ignore all the other noise that's happening in the press, in the trades and, you know, on Twitter about whatever people you think people are hearing. Um, so I, I'd say the sentiment actually hasn't changed all that much. Yeah. And Richard, so, you know, were you, I, you rarely are a person to someone who's surprised. So I don't know if you were surprised by this tactic, but what was your, uh, your observation this week? We can note that my, my last prediction of, of many, uh, but my, my standing uh, prediction was that they would get to a relatively quick agreement, but that there would be one breakdown on the, on, on the road to that. So Okay. So we're still so this, on track with the Rushfield timeline. Yes. So uh, I hope Rushfield. Hopefully, I won't here, have yeah. to make another. <laughs> hopefully, I won't have to make another prediction on this strike. But uh, the Sturm and, and Drang about studios releasing their uh, proposals is more fuss than reality. I think they're hung up on uh, on some specific issues there, and they they don't they don't want to publicly talk about those issues so um it's always easier to talk about tactics and this other side isn't playing fair they're trying to divide us and all that which i'm sure all of which is true and all of it which is kind of in the normal of uh underhanded tactics that you see in the course of a strike so i i don't believe that they're as upset as they uh as as i i, I think there's a little protest too much 
in that. And but they have some real divides on actual issues uh, rather than negotiating tactics. And it seems like both sides really want to have an agreement. The studios seem to have uh, dug into the, to, to talking now. Um, and I don't think they're doing that just so they can walk away and say there's no talking to these people. And I think the uh, the, the Writers Guild doesn't doesn't really want to spend five more months uh, doing this. Right. And given that, I think they will get there. I don't know where they'll get there. I don't know where it will will fall in the middle. But uh, I think there's there's a lot of incentive at this point. Yeah, I will say just the one part of it that kind of dawned on me a little bit afterward but just you know no business it's a business negotiation and no business negotiation happens in public nothing i mean it's it's a bad way it's a bad tactic it's not the way business is done and it's been you know elaine these until tuesday there was a good i don't know two week period where it was just they're talking and they met today and great and no one was really you know and the blackout was holding and now you know and again to the wga's account of it but to walk out of that meeting and 20 minutes later like we're putting this out it just seems like a real act of bad faith and as you said it was a tactic that seems to have backfired but just in terms of like it's just bad business don't you know you're putting your business back out in the public again to debate it you know amongst people like ourselves who are not at the table and it just it just takes the whole thing back a couple of steps for again i don't even know what the game might have been or what they thought the game might be but i'm just like just bring it back behind closed doors guys number one you know we talk about wall street's reaction a lot right and also just what a large role wall street has played in this strike both the actors and the writers strike this time mm. around, I, I also consider the idea that the proposals are out there to show the writers, but also Wall Street, that the mm. studios are trying, right? Okay. Because we've talked about the last round of quarterly earnings reports. They are finally being asked by analysts and investors, what's going on with the strike? How is this going to impact your business? Uh, there's a chance that the reason for the release of this proposal, arguably, who's to say, wasn't just for the writers, but also to show Wall Street that, hey, we're doing something. We're moving toward hopefully some kind of resolution. Uh, again, whether that was a great tactic or not, I think right. it's showing itself this week. Uh, but, yeah. you know, it's it's entirely feasible. Yeah. And they really hadn't put anything out since early or anything at all. This, I mean, early May was the writers, you know, they put out their document and there really hasn't yeah. been much else out there in three months. So you're right. Maybe there were, you know, for that, that might've been intended for an additional audience uh, outside of the writers, but um, uh, SAG still has no movement on anything at this point, Elaine. And uh, we have a guest here today. It was a part of your, your piece uh, there with Peter. So why don't we uh, welcome our guest? Yeah, welcome. Do we have Addy? Is it Weirich or Weirich? Tell us how to pronounce it's that. It's Weirich. We met not in the bail lines, but on the picket lines uh, at Netflix, I believe, on the 100th day of yes, the writer's strike. And you were out yes, we there did. with uh, fellow sag after member Vanessa Chester and also writer Alex O'Keefe from The Bear. And the three of you were picketing and we got around to chatting a little bit about why you were on strike. And also just yes. how it had been. And at that point, I think it was only we were like 27, 29 days in for to the actor strike and now we're 40 some days in you know tell us a little bit about how it's been on the pickets how you know you're feeling how you feel like the, the your fellow actors mental health is at this point oh yeah we're all doing really bad um it's horrible it also is like it's like oh actors have only been on strike for 40 days do you think we were working when the writers were on strike <laughs> it's like mm. the sag it's like we've we've been out of we've been in it since the beginning it was just like at first we were like yeah allyship and then 
I was I was making a joke in the beginning of it, I think, for spirits of like, oh, you don't want to see SAG on strike because we've been allies. But now it's about me. And ha ha ha, how funny mm. that actors want to make it about themselves. But we haven't been working all our jobs, all of my um, uh, I booked the lead of a pilot for FX this time last year, um, which is the thing that will happen Amazing. in an actor's life. You book a pilot, you get paid for that. Um, did not go, did not go um, at FX. I don't know how much I should or can talk about like why or my theories of why, but then it was, you know, but but sometimes, you know, when a project doesn't go one place, it can be shopped around to other places. I also don't know how much I can talk about that, but whatever, there was a meeting or something exciting was maybe happening and then the writer strike happened. So that show's not being developed. And so that was, and so it's like anything that I was about to be up for for working is paused it did not stop it did not start and then there's the thing of okay now sag is also about to be on strike um so we've it, you're not getting auditions you're not getting general meetings you're not getting if you are an underrepresented actor if you don't have an agent or a manager no one is looking to take on clients right now it is completely halted like the thing that's frustrating is that it's halted all momentum again. So there already was like a 2020 pandemic of halting momentum, but at, for everybody. And it kind of felt like, oh, everyone is kind of feeling this feeling of stopping momentum. What are we doing? This is like yet another absolute halt standstill. But what's even more frustrating is that it is against corporate greed, which seems almost more deadly and dangerous and harder to defeat than a global pandemic. Um, I feel like we've been trying to fight corporate greed for probably the beginning of humanity, of civilization. So it's, um, yeah, it's, but I cry every day. It's so anxiety and fear inducing. Um, it's also hard enough when like the arts in general are always, are already devalued. Like I'm from Philly public school system. Um, I was like, vice president of the public school for a little bit when I was like, maybe I'll get into politics because maybe I can make change happen that way. And then I was in AP Gov and was like, oh, everything is actually really slow. It's actually, I think if I'm an actor, I can enact more change as like a public figure than a politician. Um, and part of the public school, it was just so difficult to try to get arts available for 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 students just like it's, it's already hard enough on like a basic level to allow like new humans the 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 right the encouragement to do arts and then you can go into the arts as a career because your art makes money and it makes a lot of money for a lot of business people and you say oh this actually is a great combination i make my art which i love to do you make money which you love to do and together i'll make art for you and you make money for me and what a great business i mean like i the all of the what's so crazy is all of these studios that I'm picketing outside of. I was so excited to move here to have meetings there and to walk into those doors and to like go to events at Netflix. Like I love I love the studios. I love watching movies from the studios. Like we're the thing that feels so um heartbreaking is that it's like I it, it's like when you're like, why are we all fighting? Like we're a family, like we all have the same goals here it's just if you're making a ton of money off of stuff that we've done we're not all asking to be millionaires we're just asking to have like a percentage of that that feels reasonable um and that allows us to ha be a middle class i think that's the thing that's 
really frustrating is that it's like denying people to just be a middle-class workforce. Um, but we're part of a union. We are a labor union. It's really interesting to hear your perspective, Addie. And, and you know, something that you had mentioned too when I'd met you that day out on the picket lines is basically yeah. when you're talking about the collaboration between the studios and the writers and actors and, you know, creatives and execs, it's we're all baking this big pie together. We all want to, you know, but we all want a piece of that pie at the end and we want a fair share of that pie. Yeah, yeah. I was I was trying to because I was trying to be like, should I make a TikTok to try to explain the strike? But I was like, what's the easiest way to explain it? And it's like if you're if if there's like a bakery that's like, we want to make blueberry pies and you're like, hello, I love to grow blueberries. I grow awesome blueberries. We're like, awesome. We're going to use your blueberries to make our pies and we're going to sell the pies for five dollars and we're going to pay you you know, a dollar. So you're getting like a fifth of the pie. And then all of a sudden everyone's like, um, these pies are phenomenal. We want more. And so you keep making more. And now we're like, now we're selling the pies for a hundred dollars, but you're still making a dollar. And it's like, but you wouldn't have the pies without my blueberries. Like, that's the whole thing is like, that's, it feels, um, it feels so transparently. It's, it's like a dumb evil villain where it's like, we can see what you're doing. Like you wouldn't have any content. You wouldn't be talking about streaming if you didn't have writers to write shows and actors to act in them. And don't, don't get me even started with like IATSE and like the crew and the directors. Like it takes so much of a village, which is what is so amazing and incredible. I mean, if you've ever had the, the honor, the joy, the privilege to be on a set, being on set is one of the most amazing living examples of teamwork but what you don't see there is like there's so many jobs and so many people who don't want to be millionaires per se they just want to like have food and not worry if they have to go to the dentist or if their kid wants to go to the dentist and they love making the movie and they want the studio to make millions everyone wants everyone to like make a lot of money and succeed um it, it's just very transparent when it's like you've made so much disproportionately more money than we are being made or than we are making. You know, I think there's this idea, too, when you're you're talking about the intersection of art and commerce. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, if you have a different take out yeah. on the picket lines. But I feel like there's this sort of undercurrent when we're talking about the writers and the actor strike of, well, these are artists. Of course, they're suffering for their art. Of course, they're starving. That's how it is. And that's how it has been for centuries, right? That if you're an artist, there's kind of the expectation yeah. that you won't be making a lot of money. So why won't they just be happy with that? I mean, is that do you feel at all like there's kind of the undercurrent of that? Oh, absolutely. And this is the thing. If Bob Iger was like, and I'm a starving CEO, we're all doing this for the love of art. Like if everyone, <laughs> like if, if it wasn't making, like if everyone was starving, and we all were like, yes, we all love just to give art from ourselves out of the bounty of our body. And we don't need food or water. There are there's a very small percentage of people who have who truly want to be a starving artist. And I think those people haven't gone to a lot of therapy. And I think they have maybe some um, uh, not quite maybe high views of themselves if they don't think that they deserve to have like health care um, and that kind of stuff. And I think it is a it's a it's a stereotype that someone who it want is an artist also doesn't want a basic standard of living and the whole thing with starving artists it's really um insulting and it's been really hard especially because i'm glad that so many people are talking about the strike and so many people know about it but when i tell people if i'm talking to people like strangers out in the wild that i'm an actor um a lot of people love to share their opinions with me at the bar or something about mm. how actors are asking for too much or how, well, your job is probably going to be gone in a couple of years anyways and all this stuff. And, and it's it, it, we are not alone 
in this, all the things that people are fighting for and talking about in the negotiations are going to be coming up across all different kinds of job markets. And it's not surprising that flight attendants are also unionizing and Starbucks employees are also unionizing. People just have opinions because they think that when they have an opinion about the actor strike or the writer strike, it's just as flashy as an opinion about the hottest movie of the summer because we're talking about actors and writers. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about labor unions. We're talking about unionizing together to negotiate for fair living wages for work that you do, which is a sentiment that anybody can relate to, that I would say mm, 60, 70 percent of 80 percent of the workforce in America can relate to. Um, and it just is really heartbreaking, again, to use that word, it is really heartbreaking to see how much we can be turned against each other when we're actually all on the same page. And I think the studios, if they really asked themselves, they would want the people who work for them, who love to work for them, to be able to go to the dentist and to be able to enjoy working for them. I don't know what kind of leader wouldn't want that. And, you know, like you said, it's a, a much more universal feeling than you may think, uh, you know, even when you're talking about uh, actors and writers whose names we we recognize. And, you know, lastly, yeah. Addie, I, uh, yeah. I'm curious, you know, how long do you feel like your fellow actors are prepared to strike for? It's like you said, it's already been difficult. Everything, most things shut down when the writers went on strike, let alone when the actors went yeah. on strike 40 some days ago. And yeah. it's going to take time to for the machine to get back into action whenever the strikes are finally over. What are you looking at down the line? Well, I, I'm someone that when the pandemic happened, I was like, I think the next year or two is gone because I just that's how much I believe in like a large number of people coming together to reach a solution that like helps everybody. I don't think I'm going to be getting an audition until February or March. And that's just and I have to say that to myself to protect myself. So even mm -hmm. when my manager is like, hey, maybe Labor Day, I go, OK. And then I can't hold on to that. Otherwise, I'm crying again, because otherwise that's it, it's a I I do not trust. I have no faith in the AMPTP for coming to a swift resolution. I have nothing that they have done has made me give the slightest inkling of hope that this will be done fast because the people in power, it doesn't affect the people in power who have the power to stop this. It does not behoove them to do it as swiftly or as quickly. They might say that it does, but it doesn't really. I mean, if you think about it from a business perspective, like if I was to put myself in their shoes, it's like, yeah, why not just like wring them out and let them dry? I mean, from a business perspective, that makes sense. From a humanitarian perspective, it's um, wildly immoral and really sad. Um, I think the year's gone. My year's gone. This year doesn't exist for me career wise. That's gone. Mm -hmm. um, next year, and we're only in August. The first half. And we're in August. No, we're fucked. The whole year's fucked. That's what it, that's the sentiment. The sentiment is that everyone's fucked for the whole year. It's really dark. It's really anger inducing. Um, no one can afford to go to therapy. So uh, that's bad. Um, it's uh, it's really bad. Um, everyone is working at restaurants and bartending. And at my restaurant, we are cutting people's shifts left and right because people don't have money in Los Angeles to go out to eat at a restaurant. Mm. So there's no, we already have like a, an economy that's hurting. And then we also on top of that have a Los Angeles economy that's hurting because Los Angeles is an industry town. And so we are, so we've mm. shut down like the bloodline and everyone's getting mad at the actors and writers for shutting it down or not everyone. It seems to me like everyone. Um, and everyone has an opinion and it's not like the overwhelming opinion is, wow, the AMPTP is really fucking over the city of Los Angeles. Wow, isn't it crazy that all of these like billionaires who live in Los Angeles, isn't it crazy that trickle down economics is not working in this way? 
And, and the thing is, is that like they've built incredible studios. Like they're they're smart people. I want to work for them. Like I don't want you know I don't want to also be mm-hmm. on this podcast like slandering them or coming off as like ungrateful or you want to be like baking that, that blueberry like, pie with them. I want to. I love blueberry pies so much. It's been like my dream. <laughs> I, it's, I moved. I'm so I'm so far away from my family and my parents. Like I moved so far away from them. I wouldn't have done that if I didn't like believe that I in in myself yeah. in this in the industry. You know, like it's um, so many people come out here alone, but fueled by the faith and the strength that they are entering into an industry where like you can make money in the arts. People move from out of the country because America, Hollywood is this place where you can make money in the arts because you can because you can be on a yacht. But the percentage keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller and it's not trickling down. Mm. Um, And I think we're seeing that. And I think it's just because everyone's famous and hot and young and beautiful that everyone wants to look at them and listen to what they're saying. And my teachers in Philadelphia weren't famous and hot and young enough to be listened to. But we're not saying anything new. Labor movements have been going on. It's What's happening right now is the most American patriotic thing, truly at its core, that can be happening. It is the most like... 1776 fighting for your rights fighting for what you believe in departing from a regime that is selfish and is only like holding on to you it is hamilton it's like it's to to be a labor movement is incredibly american in the best way in the way that america should truly be is a freedom freedom for all and the hope and the um oh my god i'm gonna misquote the constitution the, the pursuit of happiness <laughs> but that, that that's a human right that it, and it is a human right to strike and i hope that people feel inspired by the strike and that they can join us or unionize at their at their own place of work if they feel like they're also being as equally undervalued and underpaid well that was really incredible perspective Addie, and i think it's so important for us to also hear from the folks who are on the picket lines every day i know we talk about things sort of from like a top down corporate perspective a lot on this pod and then Absolutely. it's been wonderful to have you on um you know definitely say hi if you see me out there on the on the picket lines i would love to talk to more of you guys and and have more yeah. of you guys on the pod and hear about how things are going uh, as we get into day 50, 60. I mean, I know folks are not hoping we go much further on with the strike, but wherever we are. So thank you so much for your time. I mean, I truly do hope it takes if it takes a year for us to get contracts that are fair and negotiations that are fair, I'll do it for as long as it takes. I mean, that's the other thing is that you're you're telling actors and writers, people who believe in themselves and the dream so much that they they know that the starving artists are being unemployed. That's not a thing that scares them. It, it is scary, but it's not scary enough to give up the people who are who are still doing it. It takes a lot of courage and a lot of belief and a lot of love. It's a huge labor of love. So it's a labor union. but It's a labor of love. Awesome. Thank you, buddy. Really appreciate it. Hey, you're so welcome, Sean. Bye, guys. For your awards consideration, Max presenting the HBO original The Last of Us. In this series, a global pandemic destroys civilization and a hardened survivor takes charge of a 14 year old girl who may be humanity's last hope. Empire called the series a masterpiece, Emmy eligible for outstanding drama series and all other categories. Peter, I just want to touch on another aspect. You know, your piece was sort of focused on the talent a bit, but also really a lot about executive culture. And I'm going to dive into your even representation aspect of the business here. And we're on the cusp of fall film festival season here at the end of August. And you really had some interesting insight and publicity is really on, on the 
a cusp of maybe some really tough choices. Is that is that kind of come through your reporting there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's already been furloughs, and I the sense is is that um, as we head into the Venice Film Festival starts, and that's the right. kickoff yeah. of of you know festival circuit, which leads into the um, uh, the award season. And that's a big cash cow, as we said in the story, for a whole ecosystem of of professionals who who, who go to Venice, help out uh, publicists, stylists, uh, agents, managers, uh, and whatnot. And um, yeah, you just well, you had one number, you had a bunch of numbers in your piece, but you know, uh, publicists can earn yeah a fee from anywhere from fifteen to twenty five thousand dollars a film yeah. for representing per film yeah. for uh, yeah. I mean, that's real money. That's real that's money. Real right money. There. Once you you know you 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 know you get a three or four films, you're into low six right. figures right there. So yeah, so yeah, I think yeah. the sense the sense is is that if this thing doesn't come to a swift conclusion, b- bad stuff is on the way. You know, uh, you know, much deeper cuts. Deeper Deeper layoffs um, within within the month is 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 what the date that I was told. But you know, I just I wanted to add one other point that came out in 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 uh, my my reporting. Elaine really tackled the this sort of the creative side of things. But I was talking to managers and lawyers and 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 whatnot. And one sentiment that really came out in in, in the interviews was that the longer this thing goes on, um, that, that while while people were sympathetic uh, uh, to the principles. Um, that the writers and the actors are striking over. The longer this thing goes on, uh, those principles are running into a hard reality, which is that people need to make money. They need to make their rent. They need to cover their mortgage. And a lot of people are like, at this point, honestly, I'm just fed up with both sides. I, I, I need to. So I need. I need to pay rent. I need to. Get, I need to put food on my table. And and if you're not a member of those guilds, or if you're not an employee at one of the companies. Uh, that is being represented by the AMPTP, and there's tens of thousands of people that fit into that category who de- who depend totally. on production in Los Angeles. Uh, what what I got the sense of was that they're they're growing increasingly disillusioned with both sides, and 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 I think that the longer that goes on, that's just going to come out more and more. And I don't know what the ultimate ramifications are for that for for the guilds. Uh, or for the companies, but it's just something that w- that, w- that quite struck me in, in many conversations that um, that I had with a whole range of people. And Peter, can we also talk for a moment about how this impacts 2024? Because like we heard Addie say, her year is shot, right? Like when you're looking at sort of production timelines and the way deals go through and the fact that this town basically goes dark after Thanksgiving through the new year, you, you mentioned a little bit, uh, it, you know, you're part of the piece about films that shoot in the fall, that typically are required to wrap up by mid-December um, in order to avoid a, a production surcharge. Um, you know, what happens when when that gets extended because of the strike? I mean, and and as you mentioned earlier, Elaine, this conversation was that um, even if a tentative agreement is reached, let's just say next week, you're we're three to four weeks out um, from this being voted on by all the guild members. And and that's assuming that's just that's just one guild. Um, so right. yeah. so we you, you gotta you gotta take into account the amount of time. That it's going to be required to get this thing ultimately the ink fully dried on whatever deal ultimately emerges. So that puts us to the you know we're at the end of September in the best case scenario. And even after it's it's uh, done, you have all these things that stopped production, and it's going to be this big battle to see who gets the sound stages and who gets the stars. Right, who goes first? There's a huge bottleneck too for everything time. happening in 24. And that doesn't get sorted out in. Uh, in a week, so yeah, exactly. So I, I, so in 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 my conversations with executives, they're they're already like, look, the fall is is unless something miraculous happens, we're we're looking at January right now. To, for, we're planning for twenty twenty four, and that's yeah. that's just a that's just a grim fact. 
And yeah, we're only yeah. two thirds of the way into the year. And we're basically everybody's saying the year is shot, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so then I think then and then I'll, my question will be, when does this really become a, 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 a and we, we I spoke with Karen Bass and I mentioned this to her, the mayor of Los Angeles. And I think this quickly when once we're into like late September, mid-October, the question is, when does this become a real political problem for the elected officials of the city and the state? Mm. And I don't think we're there yet. But when when you're starting seeing people who can't make rent, who are picking up and leaving, you know, who are, who are abandoning their businesses, then you're going to start seeing some real pressure applied to our elected officials to I mean, step in and do more. Yeah, the politicians seem to think it's uh, a problem that can be solved with a few anodyne statements of support and hope that everything works out, but certainly not getting anyone's hands dirty with it and risking ruffling the feathers of your donors. Right. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, then you're, you start thinking we're getting into a whole big political election cycles and all these things. And I don't know, this is a pretty high profile thing. So I think as this goes on, it's just going to get increasingly complicated and, and unfortunately increasingly grim. And Richard, is there a sense, you know, and but Peter as well, but of this kind of internal pressure where Richard, you talk about several times, you know, top executives don't hang out with talent per se. They're hanging around mostly with other executives and from what Peter's saying, you know, when that temperature starts to go up of, hey, buddy, we got to fix this, you know, does that kind of increase the pressure to get things done, regardless of whatever Wall Street said, or regardless of, you know, whatever the, the larger business things are? But when your day to day, the people you, you know, interact with <laughs> has more of these conversations, you, you can feel that tension. I would imagine that's a factor here, Richard, to some extent. What do you think? I, I, I think a few weeks ago, they passed the point where they decided, OK, let's let's wrap this up. No, they're not, you know. They, they could just say yes to all the right. WGA and SAG demands and could end tomorrow, but they that, that's not how that's not their preferred route to uh, to bring right. us to a close. So um, I think they're negotiating and uh, and they will through this process negotiate to a end. However, um, I don't know exactly uh, where the differences are, but um, on the AI stuff, they they may see that they just can't go there and and uh, the writers may see that they just can't not go there. So uh, everything in the world doesn't 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 get you past that. Uh, I think they should be uh, on a, on an approach to landing with the writers, at least now. And I, w- I would imagine once they wrap up with the writers, uh, the actors will follow if not immediately, but weeks after. Yeah, I should put you right in there to early October, as you said, Peter. So more to come, uh, as always, uh, as the strike progresses here. So we're going to finish out this week. Richard, you wrote uh, not an ode to the R-rated film, but uh, we have a film coming out today, Bottoms, from uh, MGM and Limited Release, uh, which looks really funny. I guess I was watching some clips on YouTube uh, during the week here. Uh, and it looked, it just looked really sharp. R-rated comedy, you know, going to, it's, it's on 10 theaters, I think uh, opening up today and will hopefully go wider, but R-rated comedies did not have a good go of it, uh, overall this summer, I guess was kind of the, the overall inspiration for you to put this together. Yeah, it's, I, I was, uh, as, as listeners may know, I, I was very bullish on the chances for strays, <laughs> uh, plenty of, uh, excuses to offer for that. Uh, but uh, I, I and I still think uh, word of mouth is going to propel it to. Uh, I, I, I don't right, know if we'll, I don't, I don't know if it'll be bigger than Barbie, but 
you know, <laughs> Barbie will feel feel the strays on it on on its uh, on its tail there. So, um, Richard, right. I will say that I got a random text message from my mother, who very rarely goes to see the movies, and she's like, "I think I want to go see that movie about the talking dogs. <laughs> you see? It looks funny." <laughs> there you go. You see? Look at that. Richard's Richard campaign a, is working. It's a, the four <laughs> quadrants are are all kicking in. Maybe, maybe don't go with mom to that one, Elaine. That might be a little <laughs> awkward, though. I don't think that's a good mother daughter yeah. film. So. Hey, you would have been surprised at how raunchy book club two got i guess i yeah i don't i didn't i, I stand corrected sorry richard good but uh we we have a we have a real problem in the in the ecosystem where comedy in general has has been almost uh demolished as a category of uh filmmaking and in particular the r-rated comedies that uh which have been a stalwart that come what may through generations through trends uh you could always count on a one or two oh, yeah. R-rated comedies doing fairly well any year. Uh, why they've just disappeared is a, is a real question. Well, your piece did inspire, uh, you can uh, check it over at theankler.com, but inspire a thought where, Richard, as you said, some of these movies were not big box offices, and you also pointed out the, you know, the rotten, to- or critically received, the Rotten Tomato scores were never really great on these films no. either. Again, not the point. But what saved them was home entertainment dvd vhs which we don't have anymore so my um, it's not a hot take per se but all these films that came out this summer especially no hard feelings that one's going to netflix you know strays will be on peacock if these films overperform again we won't know this per se but overperform on streaming which they might the one upside of having these films this summer is that okay maybe i mean no hard feelings did Roughly about break even theatrical, which in these films, will, that kind of film will do well in the other windows. I'm sure the pivot on that was great and things like that. I think this this narrative isn't done yet from the summer as much as we can kind of look at the theatrical box office and make a judgment on it. There's still some life here that I think could further this along, Richard. Well, but it it, it cuts both ways because in the past you might have been able to come back a year later and say, hey, this is really playing well on home video and it's in, and cut cut new deals for uh, for distribution. But now they're all just locked in as part of a slate output deal. And, you know, Sony. Right. And that's the problem is that they're not if more people watch No Hard Feelings on Netflix, that doesn't help Netflix's bottom, you know, bottom line. It, you know, the only place it helps is on the ad tiers, which if those things grow, that's where the you know, that's a whole larger streaming economy thing where. The growth of the ad tier will help restore the economics here because more money is actually being made. If they didn't add any subscribers, it doesn't matter. But, you know, they don't make any more money from. And it. certainly for the the producers of uh, Strays and, and these other movies, it's, it's tough for uh, them. Well, it was a good piece to go check out. And yeah. uh, as a fan of the genre, I appreciated uh, your insights into it because it's a question that's on my mind often as well. So uh, let's save comedy, everybody. Especially, let's, let's have a laugh. I think we could all use one these days. So. Some breaking news uh, came in as, as we're doing this. Uh, early odds for the Oscars. Um, if, you, if you're willing to put down uh, $100 on Cocaine Bear to win Best Picture... <laughs> Uh, it would it would it will pay off ten thousand dollars right now. So that's it. That seems low. Yeah. <laughs> I think I should get a better, better payout on that no, one. Like ten, Unless you're just taking that kind of action. Ten thousand dollars. I'd like that. So it's. Uh, I would too. But yeah, cocaine bear. <laughs> my hundred dollars is probably. I'll, I'll go see twenty five movies on Saturday on Sunday. I'll put my money to good yeah. use. Um, as always, I'll be covering all of the box office action in my box office breakdown in the Wake Up newsletter on Monday morning, uh, which you can get, of course, by subscribing to the Ankler at theankler.com. 
And uh, you can follow The Ankler at The Ankler on social platforms. And of course, get all of the latest. Uh, Elaine will, I'm sure you'll have a, a busy day tomorrow, Elaine, uh, with Strike Guys, even possibly tonight. Who knows? But um, Elaine sending out a daily missive, of course, over at strikegeist.com. That is, again, totally free to sign up for. And uh, I think that wraps about up. So, Peter, good to see you. Elaine and Richard, pleasure as always. And uh, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. 